You're listening to the JT The Brick Show, where the Raider Nation has come to sound off and react for over 20 years. It's the JT The Brick Show. They get the snap off, hand off Jacobs, has the first down of the goal, 15-10, 5, touchdown Raiders! Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Raiders bring a blitz, he is smothered, and brought down! Max Crosby came around for the sack! Your silver and black home to sound off for over 20 years. Snap to car on the shotgun, back to pass, climbs the pocket, eyes downfield, fires a strike to Devontae, the 25, breaks away 20, 15! 10, 5, dives, touchdown Raiders! And now, here's JT the Brick. We're out of the gate, JT with you as I'm in our beautiful studios today with Bobby Machado on a glorious day in Vegas as we're wrapping up the month of January. January 26th on the road to the Pro Bowl, which is here in town, which we're excited about, and then on the way to the Super Bowl with Raider Nation Radio as we'll be broadcasting downtown Phoenix from their convention center the week of the Super Bowl. So we got some exciting things happening. There's a lot of breaking news in the NFL. We'll get to all of that. Uh, we got a couple of really good guests today. We put on guests that have something to say. Levi Edwards will join us, one of our insiders inside the Raider facility. He's got a lot to say about the offseason. We'll talk about the roster, what the Raiders need to do in this window here. Gary Lawless, maybe one of the sharpest hockey minds in all of hockey. We're lucky to have him here, part of the Vegas Golden Knights broadcast team. Uh, they're making their East Coast swing, Islanders and Rangers. Man, I know that market good. We'll have fun talking to him. And then uh, finally, we're going to jump in with the franchise, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. If you know radio, you know Hacksaw. Hacksaw at the bottom of the hour on what the Raiders need to do. Hacksaw's been an enemy at times from what some Raider fans say. Why do you have Hacksaw on? He's in San Diego. Well, there's no more Chargers in San Diego. And Lee's one of the smartest guys I've ever, ever talked to or listened to. So he's going to have a really good, well-put-together commentary on what the Raiders should do at the quarterback position because I think the Raiders need to do something at the quarterback position, which seems to be the big topic of this offseason. We're brought to you by Golden Entertainment. They own the Strat. And I don't know the last time you've been to the Strat, but you should go check it out. They've redone the whole thing from the top of the world down to the lobby, from the Starbucks, the sports book, everything they do with their PTs on site. You'll love it. Good entertainment. Great values on room rates. And kind of in the middle of the strip now, right? Remember what used to be? The Strat used to be down there on that side of the strip. No, it Resorts World there and everything that's going on on the other side with Circa. Head on out and check out the Strat and tell me what you think. They fuel the monologue as we get going. Frank Reich got the head coaching job of the Panthers today. Okay, I'm good with that. This is a guy that was let go because his owner, Jim Ursay, who collects rock and roll memorabilia, cares more about rock and roll memorabilia, which I care a lot about too, but he owns a football team, and he got rid of Frank Reich and brought in Jeff Saturday. Uh, You should all remember that because Jeff Saturday beat the Raiders. And with that, Frank Reich was going to get a job, but I thought most likely he'd have to go back and get a coordinating job. But why? We all know he's a good coach. Guy's a good coach. Guy was a good player in this league, and now he'll lead this team, which was probably a team that I don't know if they needed – a new look here, but the problem is uh, they did not keep the coach who had this team playing at a very high level at times down the stretch. Remember, this is a sub-500 team, so it wasn't a great team on any way, but, you know, fans fans go crazy. Fans go crazy when coaches get hired, and Steve Wilkes 
intends to coach elsewhere. Now, for Steve Wilkes and an opportunity to coach elsewhere, I don't know where he's going to coach. I don't know where he's going to get the job. But as an African-American candidate, okay, who was in an interim position, that breaks the Internet. I even participated today in regards to Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy, who's an African-American coordinator, again in the AFC Championship. What is this, like five years in a row? Eric Bieniemy still has to interview for jobs, and he doesn't get jobs. And he's an African-American candidate. So for me, I don't see color. I don't. I grew up that way when it comes to minorities, when it comes to talking about religion, or when it comes to talking about gender or race. I just think the best man or woman for the job should get the job. But in the NFL, we can't do that anymore. We can't have that conversation because not a lot of fans trust the NFL or all of the NFL, all of the NFL, perfectly when it comes to the Rooney rule and minority candidates getting a job. And how come the guy who took over as the interim coach for Matt Rule, who's African-American, didn't get the job, but the white guy who got fired in Indy fired and Indy got the job? And again, I'm just a white guy behind the microphone. That's all I am is a white guy behind a microphone. And I try to give you topics to talk about here. Now, when I put out the Eric Bieniemy tweet, Mike Pritchard liked it. Mike Pritchard, you hear all the time here, was best friend, still is with Eric Bieniemy. They played together at Colorado, won a national championship. Bieniemy has a bit of a past. He had an issue back in the day, and he's separated himself from that for well over 15 years. Uh, someone came back on my Twitter feed at JT the Brick and said, well, maybe he doesn't interview well. You would be correct. When you go on that many interviews and you don't get a job, I don't think you're interviewing great. But I, why would you continue to bring Eric Bieniemy back for job interviews? Why would you bring Brian Flores back for what he called sham interviews? You know in this day and age, and it was never right 50 years ago. It's not right now. It won't be right 30 years from now. If you're going to bring in an African-American head coaching candidate, Okay, so this is a very specific question on race. If you're going to bring in an African-American head coaching candidate, should you have to explain to us why he didn't get the job over a white candidate? In, in a beautiful kumbaya world, you should not have to. You should say that the interview went this way. The owner who's in charge has the right to hire whoever he wants. But not anymore because we have a whole bunch of rules. The Rooney rule and a whole bunch of rules now, not only for head coaches, but for minority candidates when it comes to GM positions and other positions there. So a lot of people are pretty worked up about Wilkes not getting the job and Frank Wright getting the job. I'll just throw this out in general, not to go on this deep, deep, deep dive into racial relations, but how do you feel about this? How do you feel about two men entering an interview process and you're not in the interview? You have no idea what's going on in the interview. One guy's better on the board, one guy's better on film, one guy's this or that. How do you feel when you see this nowadays and then all of a sudden the internet breaks? I'm on Twitter now and everybody's going crazy. It's all about race. I don't know who the best person is for the job. Uh, do I trust owners over other owners? Yeah, I think there's some owners that are better than others. And the great news about this with Mark Davis and before that Al Davis, they have one of the greatest track records as a family ever not just in the NFL and sports history, when it comes to minority candidates, gender, when you look at all the hires that they've made over the decades. The Raiders are near the top of the list. Are the Raiders perfect? No one's perfect. But when it comes to this topic, we're in a town now with the Las Vegas Raiders where they're as good as you can possibly be on this topic at any position, from a president of a team to a 
backup coach, a position coach to a head coach to whatever it is when they have to make decisions on that front, I believe. So that's what I wanted to open up. So the breaking news is Frank Reich gets this job in Carolina. Now, here's the other part of this. I think that Carolina is the best fit for Derek Carr. Now, why am I thinking that? Because I know Derek, and I know that market. That's a pretty good market. It's kind of an under-the-radar market. A lot of people want to live in Charlotte. A lot of people are leaving New York, Boston, Philly, and they don't want to go that far south to Florida, and they end up in Charlotte in the Carolinas, and they love it. And for Derek, I think Derek under Frank Reich, how would that work out? I think that would be a pretty good fit. And if Derek Carr went to Carolina, he'd also be performing for the richest owner, the richest owner in the NFL and David Tepper. And maybe Derek could make more money there and his kids could love the market, love the region there. So we, as we talk about Derek Carr here on this broadcast over the last couple of weeks, where's the best fit for Derek and his family? New Orleans would be good. Look what Drew Brees did. Drew Brees lives in San Diego. It's not a dirty secret. It's a fact. Drew Brees doesn't live in New Orleans. He lives there during the season, but he lives in San Diego. Drew Brees is like the mayor of the mayor of New Orleans. He was there for Katrina after that, how they rebuilt the city, all the money that he donated, the foundations and all of that. New Orleans is a great market, but I don't know if it's a fit for Derek. Indianapolis is also a market where you can kind of be under the radar. You can do some good things there, and maybe that's a good fit. But keep an eye on Frank Reich because Frank Reich's going there and he needs a quarterback. He needs a quarterback, and he's been through a lot here, Frank Reich. He had a deal with Carson Wentz, letting him down and not playing well. I don't think he wants to tie himself to, obviously, Baker Mayfield's gone, Sam Darnold. If Frank Wright wants to keep this job in Carolina as he's starting his job, Derek Carr's a bleeping really good pick for Frank Wright. You can go, I'll take Derek and start with that, and then I have all my other weapons. And you got a pretty good quarterback in a division, most likely where Tom Brady's not going to be. And all of a sudden, Carolina, that was fighting with a bad record, with Tampa Bay with a bad record, New Orleans with the subpar record, all of a sudden Derek Carr is pretty good. That's the division that I'd want to go to if I'm Derek Carr. You're out of the AFC. Because if Derek stays in the AFC, good luck. It's the same issue we had with the Raiders. Good luck with the quarterbacks in the AFC. If Derek slides to the NFC and goes to New Orleans or he ends up in Carolina, I am telling you Derek Carr will be a game ahead or a game behind going into the playoffs next year. I'll make that prediction right now. That's how good these jobs are, and you could be a starter in the NFL, and Derek's not going to be a backup. He's going to be a starter on one of those teams out there. So I just gave you two big topics to talk about. One would be, is that a good fit for Carr with Frank Reich in Carolina? And then the other one is about the white guy got the job over the black guy. And that's breaking the internet, and that's popping off. And I'm not going to hide from that topic if you want to talk about that, 702-365-9200. The other interesting story today is Nathaniel Hackett got the job with the Jets as the offensive coordinator. I think that's a pretty good hire. That's a pretty good hire because he's a good offensive coordinator, and he struggled as a head coach. And, I mean, he was terrible as a head coach there. And he was terrible in regards to clock management. A lot of clock management. Just a mess in regards to game day. He wasn't very good. No matter if you think Josh McDaniels is great, if you're indifferent with the head coach, Josh McDaniels isn't walking around freaked out about the clock, down in distance and all that. No, he's not. You can make your, you can make your shots at the coach for losing leads and all that, but he knew what he was doing in regards to looking at his play call sheet and the clock. Nathaniel Hackett was a mess with all of that. So the Jets get him.
And a lot of Jet fans think that this is going to be the recruit, the guy who's going to go out and get Aaron Rodgers. And there's a lot of truth to that. Here's what we know about Aaron Rodgers as we open up the show here. It's, a, it's going to be a Raider topic today. So Bobby reminded me, Bobby, who's been producing with me forever, reminded me, focus on one thing in the monologue today, which I really appreciate that. And the focus is Aaron Rodgers is the topic of today. Okay? See, everybody get this? We did Lamar Jackson yesterday with Nasty Nestor. Today is Aaron Rodgers. So as we open up the phones, which I guess were locked during the Rich Rich Eisen show, they actually put a lock on the phones. No one can call in during Rich Eisen. I didn't know that. We've unlocked the phones. And you're going to be able to comment on one guy at quarterback today. One guy. Aaron Rodgers. Yes or no? Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback of the Raiders. you got to pay him $50 million. It's $50 million minimum. It's like going to a car lot. And you go, oh, I'm going to go buy a new car. I want to negotiate. I want to negotiate. No, there's no negotiation here. Aaron Rodgers costs $50 bleeping million dollars and a draft pick. I don't think you got to give up two draft picks for Aaron Rodgers. You might have to give up a first round or whatever it is. So Raider Nation, you know Aaron Rodgers. Here's Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show. Man, this guy's amazing. This guy's amazing. This guy loves going on with McAfee and just putting things out there because he knows guys like me are going to play it and talk about it today. Check this out. I don't think there'd be a scenario where I'd come back and that would be the number. I think it, it would definitely, definitely things would have to shift. There's a lot of teams because of COVID that are strapped. And you're seeing us a lot of different contracts. They're pushing more money out uh, in in, uh, in deals. They're creating you know certain kind of void years to allow for the um, an easier cap hit. So there you know there would have to be some adjustments for sure. Wow, he's talking about COVID. He's very aggressive on COVID. Okay, we're less aggressive than we were. No one knew what was going on two years ago. Your doctor didn't know. And no one knew what the hell was going on with COVID. People were dying from it. Other people weren't. And that just triggered this whole country to be just crazy on the topic. And Aaron Rodgers still talking about COVID. Actually, Aaron Rodgers talking about how COVID is changing the way owners pay for quarterbacks? What is, what is that about? He's making $50 million. So they have to adjust for him and give him more money up front to push his salary out down the road, or if he goes to another team, he's basically telling you there, he's kind of giving you a wink that if he goes to another team, i.e. the Raiders, that there's going to have to be something that's adjusted with his contract. And believe me, from covering Aaron Rodgers' entire career, Aaron Rodgers is not looking to do or give anybody a break. He loves the money. As the great philosopher Randy Moss once said, straight cash homie. He wants to get paid. He wants all of his money. He wants it guaranteed. He wants it up front. But he'd be a hell of a quarterback for the Raiders. Oh, my God. Can you imagine Aaron Rodgers? Oh, God. Aaron Rodgers coming out of the tunnel on a two-year deal with a one-year option. You got two more years of going into Allegiant Stadium, and Aaron Rodgers warming up, throwing the ball to Devontae and handing it off to Josh and Waller and Renfro, whatever, whoever's here. Man, that'd be a pretty good fit. So that's what I got for you today. That's what I have for you today. Today's your Aaron Rodgers day. It's at school, everyone. I'm the teacher, but I'm like, I'm kind of not the sub. I'm the teacher that's acting like the sub today, <laughs> right? I'm looking around going, Aaron Rodgers, give me something on Aaron Rodgers. I just told you what you need to know. He's expensive. He's going to cost the Raiders a draft pick. He's great, not good, four-time MVP. He's not injured. 
Uh, also, Tom Brady's not injured. They're completely healthy, completely healthy, unlike Lamar Jackson coming through an injury. Patrick Mahomes is injured. I'll get to him in the monologue a little bit. So that's where we're at today. Aaron Rodgers, after all the shenanigans on a Thursday, do you like that fit more than the others? Or are you like others who tell me, no, we don't need to go down that road? The Jets want him bad. And Woody Johnson, the owner of the Jets, have pretty much said, according to sources, that they'll pay, they'll give up two first-rounders, which I don't agree with. Aaron Rodgers is not worth two first-rounders. And they'll pay him all the money. And if he goes to the Jets, the Jets are okay. Jets are in the same boat as the Raiders. Jets and the Raiders are about the same. Raiders should have been much better than the Jets. They only won six games. The Jets were a playoff team at the midway point and then stumbled at the end. Why? Because of their quarterback situation. They played Mike White and Zach Wilson crashed and burned. So a lot of fans in New York, this is the hot topic of the day, and they don't want to wait. Jet fans don't want to wait. Jet fans want to get Aaron Rodgers all wrapped up quickly here because Aaron Rodgers is telling Green Bay again that he's not sure about his future, which is quite amazing, man. you got to be in a really huge, great position in life. Maybe you are listening to me somewhere around the country. Well, you have so much leverage in your job as a vice president, a president, or you're an individual CEO, or you have your own company. You have to be very special to have the leverage to say, you know, I don't think I have to work anymore. I don't have to go to work today, and I work for someone else. Normally in the real world, which we all work in, if you don't want to go to work, you got to call your boss. Hey, I'm not coming in today. I, I don't want to work today because I'm going on vacation. Fine, you have a certain amount of vacation. Aaron Rodgers is under contract, making more money than anyone who ever played the game, and he's not sure that he wants to go to work. That's the, that's the basis of this topic. There's a level of arrogance which is beautiful. It's like George Clooney hanging out in Lake Cuomo saying, no, nah, I don't got to do that movie. How much are you offering me to do that romantic comedy with Julia Roberts that no one went and seen? Oh, you're going to give me $11 million? Yeah, I'll do that movie. Julia's a friend of mine. We'll hang out on the set. We'll bring our families, and we'll make a movie, and I'll rob you for $11 million or a bunch of garbage. Aaron Rodgers plays football in the NFL. He plays quarterback. That's a very dangerous position. Very dangerous position. You put your body, you put your brain on the line, and he has to figure that out. So Aaron Rodgers today, as we open up the show, yes or no on Rodgers, is there a way you would want Aaron Rodgers here more so than a young draft pick, Jared Stidham, Tom Brady, Lamar Jackson, or Jimmy G? Jimmy G, I think, is a really good comparable. Jimmy G's young. He's only 31, man. Why did I think Jimmy G was older the other day, man? Jimmy G's got like five, ten years left if he doesn't get hurt. And normally when you get injured, it's a fluke. You're in shape. You're a gifted athlete. You don't get hurt on purpose. You get hurt because someone falls into your knee or falls into your ankle. That's not your fault. You're not injury prone if someone does that to you. But Jimmy G gets hurt a lot. He misses games. All right. The other topic is very emotional to me. Okay, I want to get this into the monologue. Kobe Bryant died three years ago today. And my son, who's, you know, my son, that, that was his sports idol of his life. And that was a really dark day here in Vegas, all over the world, when Kobe Bryant passed away. And I mentioned it this morning in a podcast I did with Tom Looney, who's now a news guy in L.A. and covered that story, covered that story for KABC. That day, I went and saw UNLV running Rebel Basketball. And my buddy Jimmy came to my house, and my wife and I were sitting around the kitchen table, and we, he, was at, he was there an hour early, and we were going to the Thomas & Mac to see UNLV. 
And we got the news like everybody else. And it was heavy, heavy when Kobe, and you found out that the helicopter went down, that Kobe Bryant was obviously going to be dead from that, the severity of that accident. And then the news started breaking out. So we were sitting there talking about this. There's nothing we could do. We checked in on my son, and we had a really deep conversation with him, I remember. My son actually called into my radio show, the first time and only time he called, which was very emotional. We have that, Bobby? I did not know we had that. I actually swear I did not know we had that here. You want to play that. So this was my son at the University of Oklahoma that night, that night, because that was a Sunday. When we look at that, the UNLV was playing. I had to do my show that night for Sirius XM, and my son called in. John, start us off. Uh, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Go ahead. Um, hello. Um, this is not how I think I'd make my first call to the show. After a while, um, this is still probably one of the hardest days of my life for Kobe. And I just want everybody to say thanks to Kobe. I want him to be remembered for Kobe, not compared to anybody else. And I want to say um, I love you, Dad. I love you, Mom. I love you, Jason. And I can't wait to see you guys soon. Okay, thank you. That's my son. I didn't know he was uh, calling in, so... 888-623-3646. So I didn't uh, expect that to happen. That was my son calling in from college. And uh, as I mentioned, as I opened up the show, pretty heavy day for my wife. And all all Laker fans and everybody who cares about Kobe Bryant and just cares about, you know, his legacy and his family and obviously his daughter that passed away. Yes. So that was it. That was three years ago. Wow. And I haven't heard that in quite some time. Kobe and Gianna Bryant lost their lives uh, with a number of other individuals that day. And it's trending. It's a big deal. And, again, I remember what was so surreal about it was going to the UNLV game and to see people who didn't know about it find out about it. If you're ever in that situation, that's a tough place to be when you're walking into a building and you see people that don't know the news and they made an announcement at the Rebel game about Kobe passing away. And people were floored. You would have thought everybody knew going into the game because of their phones and all that, but some people didn't know. I remember how tough that day was. Don't remember the game. Don't remember the score. Just remember how heavy that day was. So it's the three-year anniversary of Kobe and his daughter passing away in that horrific crash. If you're a Laker fan and you want to talk about Kobe's legacy, you want to bring up Kobe today, That would be a blessing. I think that's a good day to make a Kobe phone call every year at this time and the impact that he had on your life. Uh, 702-365-9200 as we continue here. So that's what we have. If you're going to call in, Aaron Rodgers, we got a bunch of good guests. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton will join us in about 10 minutes. If you want to get through, we'll have Levi Edwards over at the Raiders. He's going to jump in. I'm excited to talk about him. He's got good information today. And Gary Lawless, who's back on the East Coast swing in New York, where it's always fun to go with the Golden Knights to New York and play three games with those tri-state area teams, get a good steak, a good bottle of wine, enjoy the night out in New York City, and we'll get an update on VGK. As the monologue is brought to you by Remy Martin, they have a one-minute commercial in the first quarter of that game, which is going to be pretty cool. And the fact that they're hosting a lot of parties out there, and we'll be talking about Remy Martin a lot. They're a proud partner of our show and one of the many partners who are helping us enjoy the opportunity of going to Radio Row in Phoenix in a little over a week. 
JT in studio today. Sound off like you got a pair. The show has begun. Welcome back to the JT The Brick Show, brought to you by Resorts World Las Vegas, the newest property on the Strip. We've been in these spots. We have the experience. We know what team we're playing. Team that's been to this this game the last five seasons, and they've all been in that stadium. So, to me, they're still the team to beat, and then we're coming for them. That's Joe Burrow. JT, back with you. A lot of people are wondering about Joe Burrow. Interesting spot he's in. Great player. I mean, phenomenal quarterback. Great player. Not a good quarterback. He's elite. If you're going to go through one of your lists, he's on the elite list. But he doesn't want to lose two Super Bowls. You know what I mean? You don't want to lose two Super Bowls. And if Philadelphia is waiting for Joe Burrow and Philadelphia beats Joe Burrow, that would be back-to-back Super Bowls losing which he at least got to the Super Bowl. Jim Kelly lost four in a row. He's in the Hall of Fame. And Joe Burrow is trending to be a Hall of Famer. There's a lot of pressure on him to win this game. Got two big games, and it clearly looks like Patrick Mahomes is fine. Full participant, even though we know that he can't be 100% with that high ankle sprain. We saw the damage he went through and how he was limping during the game. But it looks like a miraculous recovery to me after he walked up to the stage at the press conference and walked off the stage and no limp at all. And they showed some B-roll of him doing some stretching and walking and lightly running. He looks to be fine. And that's why that point spread thing is going back and forth. We'll get to that in a little bit. Mark in Vegas before Hacksaw joins us. How are you, Mark? Thanks for starting us off. JT, great to be with you. Love Las Vegas. The Raiders go all the way. I want to talk about Kobe. What a great human being he was. I had a daughter who used to fly back and forth from Vegas to Los Angeles on the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday program and played a little league soccer and with a team called the Slammers, coached by Mia Hamm. And she stayed with a family, a doctor family in Newport up on the hill. And one day she comes home, she goes, Dad, I was kicking with KB and V. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, Dad, I stay next door to Kobe's house and, you know, we kick the soccer ball and and it brought chills to me. It still does every time I tell the story that my daughter got to spend two years kicking soccer balls with Kobe and his daughter in Newport Beach. That's a great story. You know, he was that type of guy. He was a, a girl dad. Uh, you're a girl dad, and to have that memory is an amazing memory. And by all accounts, tremendous, tremendous father to his girls. And the impact that he had as a basketball player is, you know, I think he's the top, uh, in the top five all time. And that says a lot because the top 10 is pretty amazing. I have Kobe in the top five. Brilliant player. I'm with you all the way, and I'm going to throw one more thing. And I was fortunate enough to mm. sit in B-51 during mm. the Staples Center run days with Kobe and Shaq and mm. Ori hitting a three-pointer. I got to see him grow up as a kid, become yeah. one of the greatest basketball players and greatest human beings. I was able to meet him, and I just can't say enough wonderful things about it. Thank an you. incredible human being. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot as we bring in Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, one of the more iconic sports talk radio hosts and a guy who covered Kobe's career. Lee, I didn't know about the timing on this, but Kobe passed away three years ago today, and the impact that had on your radio shows and platforms, knowing you covered his entire career. Uh, I was shocked. I mean, I was absolutely devastated the day it happened. And obviously, as the story evolved, it became sadder and sadder. Unfortunately, the the death has now been dragged through the courts because of the mishandling by the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. 
it just it really leaves an ache in your, your heart mm-hmm. when you consider his impact on the Lakers, his impact on the NBA, obviously his impact on on the fans. Uh, hard to believe it's it's been three years because it seems like it was just 15 months ago, but uh, they never replaced him. Lakers mm-hmm. franchise has never, ever been the same, and, and it's, it's more than just Kobe's passing. It's obviously leadership and failure of leadership and, and salary cap and mistakes mm-hmm. on players and bad player trades, etc. So Laker basketball is not what it used to be for sure. Lee, I wanted to have you on today to talk about quarterbacks on a national level and obviously a local level for me in Vegas and you in Southern California. First, I want to start with Justin Herbert. I was shocked that he would ever be a part of a 27-0 collapse. And I said the same thing when I was at the Super Bowl and Matt Ryan was up 28-3. to It's on the quarterback to get one more first down. One. And then the math and the clock gives you the win almost automatically. And when Herbert's up 27 nothing, and the second half's going on, what was your evaluation of the way he handled that lead and didn't pick up short third downs and didn't run for first downs, all which contributed to that Jacksonville comeback? Well, Jacksonville came back in a lot of different layers. Herbert was not as effective in the second half as he was in the first half, but that was a product uh, that we saw in the whole second half of the Chargers season, JT. And I put that more on coaching than I put it on the kid quarterback. Um, I, I think he's brilliant. You know, he's thrown for 9,500 yards and just a ton of touchdowns in just his last two seasons with half a team around him because of all the injuries that the Chargers have had. But, the, you know, the whole scope of the game changed when they had the lead and then they missed a field goal that probably would have made the lead insurmountable. And then, obviously, Brandon Staley got outcoached by Doug Peterson. Peterson made adjustments in the second half after a brilliant first half by the Chargers' game plan uh, that knocked Trevor Lawrence out of rhythm and just confused him. I've never seen Trevor Lawrence react as badly as he did in the first half on blitz packages, press coverage, what they were doing with their corners and safeties, just negating everything underneath. And Trevor couldn't find anybody because he was under pressure all the time. But then Doug Peterson came out in the first possession of the third quarter, and they put their tight ends in and almost used them as wingbacks, extra blockers. Charger pass rush went away. Charger's blitz package went away. Charger's ability to cover for periods of time in the secondary went away. And here comes Jacksonville, and they just kept going and going and going. I don't think this is so much Justin Herbert. I think it's Brandon Staley. It's against the coaching staff. And I'd I'd seen these warning signs prior, but... I, like you, was just shocked mm-hmm. that, that you could lose a 27 nothing lead the way they did because I didn't think that Jacksonville was a dynamic, dangerous offensive team. But they got that way because Doug Peterson put his people in the right place to make the right plays, whereas Brandon Staley and his coordinator Joe Lombardi did not. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton joins us. One follow-up on Staley. You've covered the Spanos family as in-depth as any broadcaster in their reign with the Chargers. They had a window to get out of that deal. We know they don't want to pay coaches and then hire new coaches, $12 million. I'm not saying Sean Payton was the fit, but there's plenty of coaches available. Why didn't the Spanoses run from Brandon Staley with all the mistakes he's made when it comes to down and distance, fourth downs, and the fact that he's not considered a great head coach and they could have upgraded? What are your sources telling you? I I think he's a bright light. I guess you You and I are going to stand at the bar and argue about this. I think he's a bright light. He's been beset by just ridiculous injuries two years in a row, but yet his creative ability has helped that quarterback become an elite guy. 
with nobody around them. They have no heavy-duty running game. You know, there is no Josh Jacobs uh, wearing a lightning bolt. Uh, they've had just injury after injury. There is no Devontae Adams uh, running off the, the line of scrimmage at wide receiver. Uh, they did it this year with, with three different left tackles, two different right tackles, and a bunch of injuries to their top offensive linemen, the offensive center, Corey Lindsley, and yet they were in the playoffs, and they were really dangerous and explosive till they ran out of bodies, mm-hmm. which really cost him. I would not have fired him. He's 19 and 15. Yeah, bumps in the road, sure. A lot of coaches go through that. But when you consider the Spanos family, you know, can you trust their credibility? I mean, these are the people that ran off a Super Bowl coach in Bobby Ross. These are the people that fired a coach that was 14-2, and two, Marty Schottenheimer. Mm-hmm. And these are the people that brought you Mike McCoy and Anthony Lynn, the two hires prior to the acquisition of Brandon Staley. So I think you've got to go further down the road. Um, they, they need a dose of good luck. They have drafted really well. They just can't keep their people on the field because of just catastrophic injury after injury. I just think you now if they don't make the playoffs next year, then I think Staley's in trouble. But I think they will make the playoffs because, you know, Lady Luck has to smile upon them sometime when they get these guys healthy. They're going to be really, really good. Hacksaw is our guest. So let's move to your assessment of Derek Carr, knowing that he only took the team to the playoffs twice. He never won a playoff game. It's nine seasons. Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler, their connection to Brady, Jarrett Stidham. Looking with what happened with the Raiders blowing five games with double-digit leads. We're talking five. It should be one or two every three or four years, five in one season. And they owed Carr a lot of money. If he would have got hurt those last two games, Lee, as you talked about, they're on the hook for that money. Assess the Raiders and the quarterback position going forward. Well, I think he's a victim of everything around him. I think he's a victim of ownership. I think he's a victim of bad general managers, screwball coaches, bad drafts, injuries as part of the equation. You know, I feel sorry for him because I think he's a hell of a stand-up guy. Is he is the elite quarterback? No. His career record, I think, JT, is 63-80. and But that's a byproduct of how bad this organization has been for a long period of time. With apologies to the people in Las Vegas, you know, what has Mark Davis got as an organization? I don't think it's a very well-run organization considering all the coaches he's gone through, the general managers he's hired and fired, the contracts he's given out, the money they wasted, how they had to retool the roster, some bad citizens that they drafted. Find me anything positive about Raider football aside from the quarterback, the running back, and the wide receiver and a pile of kids they keep running through there to try to fix the thing. The thing is so broken, and I, I think it's broken from the top. Uh, Carr's contract is obscene. Uh, I, think, I think what's gone on is I think Mark Davis has given the agent permission to go find a team that Derek would accept a trade to. Derek's going to have to restructure down that contract. I don't think he's a $40 million quarterback. I don't care that he's been somewhere nine years. Mm-hmm. He's, not, he's not the super elite guy. He'll wind up somewhere. Maybe he winds up with a good coach like Ron Rivera in Washington and can be part of that process. I don't know that he's going to Houston. I don't know that that maybe he's the answer in New Orleans, although they, they seem to have a significant amount of talent down there. They just have not solved the quarterback uh, quandary uh, with the Saints. He'll get moved. He may have to push the date that the new contract kicks in further back so they can work a deal with the new economic year, and he's going to have to restructure down the contract. But if you're asking me, I like him. I respect him as a leader. I don't think this crap record that he has is strictly on his shoulders. I think it's a byproduct of what I think is a really poorly run organization. 
Hacksaw, as we wrap it up, and I'll agree to disagree, I think there's more positives there from the playoffs last year with the issues, Max Crosby, other players that they've had, but you know, your, your opinion matters. You've been critical of this team, and you've been critical of other teams. As we wrap it up, what do you got in the Super Bowl? As you look at these teams here, does something new jump out at you, seeing the matchups, uh, Mahomes' injury to the ankle, and Buffalo not getting there? Do you think Cincinnati's the leader? Well, you got Burrow and you got those wide receivers. Those three of them are really dangerous. Cincinnati played out of its mind. How you could have all these street free agent offensive linemen mug Buffalo uh, in that last AFC playoff game was a stunner to me. Kansas City scenario, they're really dangerous. Andy Reid is really brilliant. Now, Mahomes will probably be a lock, stock, pocket passer this weekend. Will they be as dangerous? Can they protect him so he doesn't take hits or have to run? If the, if the answer is yes, then Kansas City will probably win a shootout uh, there at, at Arrowhead. If the answer is no, that they can't protect him, and, you know, the Cincinnati come out of character and start to blitz his brains out because he can't move, and does that impact everything else? Uh, I, I think it's going to be a fascinating game. I would view Kansas City-Cincinnati as Star, Star Wars. I would view Philadelphia-San Francisco as World War One trench warfare. Mm-hmm. No place for the timid. The defenses are going to be unbelievable. They're, I think they'll probably slow down both these quarterbacks. But it's, oh, San Francisco-Philadelphia is going to be so much fun because those, those teams are constructed very differently mm-hmm. than the way Kansas City and Cincinnati are. I, I think it's, it's going to be fun. If you're asking me to pick, I'd say we might have a Kansas City-San Francisco Super Bowl. But these four teams are even, Stephen. Thank you, Lee. Good to talk to you in the new year. We'll catch up at the Super Bowl. Thank you. Check my website, JT. Good to talk to you. Be well. You go. LeeHacksawHamilton.com. I look at it every day. LeeHacksawHamilton.com. One man's opinion. He's opinionated. He's not a friend of the Raiders. But he's a guy I trust his opinions and values from time to time. We'll agree to disagree on what he said about the Raider organization, but that's his opinion. Uh, down in Southern California here. A uh, couple of other quick things that we'll get to near the top of the hour on Frank Wright getting this job. Who's next in the coaches that are going to be hired next? And a little bit of Mahomes and what happened at the first practice, which is positive for Kansas City fans. Chris in West Oakland. Good to talk to you, Chris. What do you got? Hey, JT. I want to uh, hit Kobe Bryant, but on the heels of, you know, Hacksaw there, I, I just want to disagree on one thing about the Derek Carr trade situation. It makes absolutely no sense. Not saying it won't happen, but I can't for the life of me see why Derek Carr would would push back the date for his contract to become back guaranteed. Why he, Derek Carr is looking out for his own best interest right now, not the interest of the Raiders. We're past the blame game. Like I said, I, I, I understand why the Raiders did what they did. But I can't see any way that Derek Carr, number one, pushes the date back to help the Raiders out. I believe he'll get plenty of money on the open market. And if he restructures his contract, JT, he'll probably get much more up front than he would have with the current contract that he's under. Secondly, the Houston, Texas rumor. If everything Derek Carr has gone through the last nine years with the Raiders, if he goes, if he okays a trade to the Houston, Texas, then he is only concerned about money. I cannot see that happening in any way. But let me talk about Kobe. That's the main reason I called. Three years ago today, it's my daughter-in-law's birthday. I'll never forget that day. I got a text from my cousin in Missouri asking if it was true. And when I saw the news, I thought like everybody else, ah, hey, you see this all the, all the time. These celebrities, they say they die, but it's a hoax. Nobody could believe that this guy, he was Kobe Bryant, for Christ's sake. Nobody could see that he died. And what a sad day it was. But let me, my tribute to Kobe and what I miss the most, JT, 
I believe he was truly the last of a di- uh, the last of a breed. But there's no more Kobe Bryant. There, Kobe Bryant wasn't about load management. He represented a day when guys played 82 games and wore it like a badge of honor. Kobe Bryant didn't want to leave his team when things got tough and join up with his buddies. He basically said, screw you. Come and play with me or I'll beat your ass. There's no more Kobe Bryant's in the NBA anymore, JT. And unfortunately, I don't think there's any more coming. That, to me, will be Kobe Bryant's lasting legacy. On top of a top five or six ball player of all time, wherever you have him, on top of all his accomplishments off the court, I believe this guy could have been an award-winning writer, author, you know, screenplay he already won an award. I don't believe there's anything this guy couldn't do. But his lasting legacy is he was the last the true last of a breed when the NBA players were killer, grown men that wanted to cut your heart out to win a game and did everything they could to play. If they could walk, they could play. They didn't have a bruise and say, I've got to load management and stay out for two weeks. That is what I will always remember the most about Kobe Bryant and the fact that, you know, uh, daughters lost their father, a wife lost her husband, and parents lost their son. Rest in peace, Kobe. There'll never be another like you. And I also remember that night, JT, it's the first time I ever hold your, heard your oldest son called before me on your national show. He was so broken up because I know what a big fan your boys yeah. were of Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Thank you, my brother. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Chris. Yeah, and again, I think of Vanessa Bryant on this day. She lost her daughter. Uh, Kobe was a grown man, and that is just the worst thing that could happen. But to lose her daughter, I, I can't imagine the pain that woman's going through and what she had to do to fight the sheriff's department there, what happened with the photos from there. That was whatever you think, what Vanessa Bryant has gone through the last three years, no one should know that pain. Just tough on her and you know the, the remaining family, the other girls, the extended family there. Really tough, really tough day uh, three years ago today. And we'll be talking about this every day. Whoever has a sports talk show the rest of their life. We'll mention Kobe Bryant on the anniversary of his passing. We'll have a lot of great moments on his five rings, but this is a day that everybody remembers where they were. 702-365-9200. Appreciate everybody jumping in. Levi Edwards at 105 from inside the Raider facility. Probably has some news on the Pro Bowl. They're setting up the stadium for the Pro Bowl. And Gary Lawless at the bottom of next hour on what's happening with the Vegas Golden Knights. My level of concern is high. High for VGK. And it shouldn't be that way after a good start to this year. Coming up next, Mahomes and what they said about his most recent practice and what the moving lines say if you're betting championship Sunday. Welcome back to the JT The Brick Show brought to you by Modelo, a proud sponsor of the Raiders and the official beer of fans with the fighting spirit. There are no injuries to <clears throat> talk about. Everybody's going to practice today, so... <clears throat> yeah, no, he um, he'll practice. He did the walkthrough this morning. And he'll practice this afternoon. There he is, Andy Reid, talking about Patrick Mahomes, who looks to be pretty good. He looks to be good and ready to go. JT brought to you by the DeCastaverde Law Group. Love the DeCastaverde Law Group, our proud partners. Thanks to them, we have our Super Bowl coverage, which will be live in Phoenix at the Convention Center coming up here in a couple of weeks. Alex is a diehard Raider fan. I see him at the games at Allegiant Stadium. Two gorgeous billboards. Oh, my God, right outside of Allegiant Stadium, the DeCastaverde Law Group. If you get into an accident, this is family, and family will get you through that accident. Our proud partner, 702-222-9999. Call Alex 
Sponsor Orlando DeCastaverde, their entire team, as I've seen their unbelievable law group, and they have young people behind the scenes, behind the scenes helping you. They walk you through everything and hopefully get you the result you expect, which is a win. 702-222-9999, our friends and partners at the DeCastaverde Law Group. So for Mahomes going forward, this is his moment. It really is. If he gets to the Super Bowl and wins, it's his second Super Bowl. He's going to get the MVP this year. He's already got an MVP. I'm making the comparison to Steph Curry, who's got four rings, MVPs, MVP in the final and all that. This is his moment. And if he comes up short again under Andy Reid, and still Andy Reid's had a brilliant run in Kansas City, a better run in Kansas City than he had in Philadelphia, and that was a pretty good run. In Philadelphia, he just couldn't win the big one. I would like to see Kansas City lose another dramatic game for the Raider Nation. I mean, I, I'm just being honest with you. Every, I'm always honest with you. I've been known to exaggerate, but I'm, I never lie. A Kansas City loss would do wonders for Raider fans. You remember the Raiders in the 70s lost all those championship games? Remember that? Doesn't that look a lot like this? Where they were the best team, the Raiders were the best team of the 70s and only won one championship? The 77 Super Bowl up the 76 season, and people can go, wait a second, Snake only won one? Freddie B only won one? What happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. They lost to the Steelers, the 72 Dolphins, Kansas City, right? This is what we want to see now for Kansas City. Let's lose a bunch of big games, lose a bunch of big, big games instead of stockpiling Lombardi trophies. Mitch in New Jersey. Mitch, if you're still there, thanks for waiting. Go ahead, Mitch. What's happening? How's it going, JT? Thanks for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Well, Kobe and, and those charges. Kobe, he was such a smart guy. There was a good article in the LA Times today. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he had a, a, a team, a girls, uh, mm-hmm. junior high school kids, and he, he saw this one and she was short, but he liked the way he played. He was talented. They're, they're like a, there's a team of girls that will never forget Kobe. Oh, Gina, all those other seven people that died. It's such a shame. I remember it was like yesterday. It was a Sunday. I thought it was fake news. And with the charges, you heard of people shooting themselves in the foot. But I think the charges do that on purpose. I mean, you can't make up these stories the way the charges are, how they lost the game. The owners mm-hmm. is, is bad, one of the worst owners. At least, you know, with Davis, he chased the money. I don't know why he, he, I don't know why he left San Diego. Yeah, let me jump in. First off, uh, you know, Hacksaw was on, and he's – he was critical of the Raiders and the organization, and I'm critical of the Chargers and their organization. They're a ter- terribly run team. And for, when Hacksaw's talked about all the injuries, he said, you know, the Chargers don't have Devontae Adams. They don't have Josh Jacobs. What are you talking about? They have, Mike, you know, they have good players. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler is one of the best backs in football. They've had plenty of that. And, again, as much as I think Justin Herbert is elite, I've been hammering Justin Herbert for blowing that 27 nothing lead, just like I hammered Matt Ryan for blowing a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl. I call it straight. If you don't play well, I'm going to call you out for it. If you play great and you're not getting the pub, I'll, I'll give you the pub. But Justin Herbert took a massive step back in regards to being a big-game quarterback losing that one in Jacksonville. No debate. <laughs> 